Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm your host, Steve Schwetz, and we're on a five-year journey from Genesis to Revelation, and today we begin our study in the wonderful New Testament book of Philippians, a book that's really a letter. And we'll soon learn from Dr. J. Vernon McGee that Paul wrote this letter to believers in Jesus Christ, whom he met on his second missionary journey. So while you hop aboard the Bible bus and find your seat, Greg Harris, through the Bible's president, is here, as promised, to update you on home groups that's really growing into a movement. It is, Steve, and we want to explain that in just a moment, but I'll quickly say, for those of you who may be newer on the Bible bus, uh, or maybe you're still struggling, what is a home group? It's it's as old as the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It's gathering in homes to listen to biblical teaching that happens to be through the Bible, and because it's a, a limited curriculum, it's introducing people to systematic study who have never experienced it before, we can add dozens and dozens of new languages very quickly. Yeah, and I also love the fact that if Bangladesh is any model for that, that typically one-third of all those participants are not believers in Jesus Christ. This is not a Christian-first community. These are people that are Hindu, Muslim, and they're, they're open to the teaching of God's Word. Right. And so the question we also want to answer is, why do we call it a movement? Because what we are doing is we are equipping national pastors and then they're training leaders. And as the groups grow through evangelism, then they split because they don't want them to get bigger than about 10 people. And so every time you and I go back to a country or we hear a report from a country, the number of groups keeps yeah, it growing. Yeah, keeps multiplying. Yeah. I like to call anything a movement that a bunch of smart people put in a room yes. don't see coming and cannot quite explain why it's doing what it's doing, which is growing. Well, you just explain the whole through the Bible ministry. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, but, uh, it, and it's true. We're, we laugh, but we, we enjoy the fact that God is leading this ministry in wonderful ways. But yeah. Let's give you a taste of what happens in these groups. Yeah, here's one from Nepal. I've actually been there. I've seen these small groups face-to-face. Exciting place, difficult place, but exciting. It says, though we do not have a pastor in our church, and don't miss that, a lot of times these home groups quickly become churches. It's where people gather, believers gather around God's Word to hear solid Bible teaching continues. We gather every Saturday and listen to you. You are a good teacher and are helping us to understand the Word of God. Today, nine people receive baptism. They express joy that we can be God's children and get blessings and spiritual benefits as true believers in Jesus Christ. Thank you for helping us understand through the sound teaching you provide. This program helps us to learn knowledge and helps us to live as his children and teach others also. Okay, and we got to get this one in from Pakistan. I'm 50 years old. My husband and I have two girls. Every evening, my family and I listen to you. I embraced Jesus Christ as my Savior and as a result of this home group, but my husband remains a non-believer. My prayer is that he would accept Jesus as his Savior as well. I am deeply attached to the Word of God. Wow. Praise the Lord. Let me let me open us in prayer as we begin our study. Heavenly Father, as we launch into Philippians today, I pray that you would show us wonderful things from your word, Lord, that we would be enriched by this study. Lord, we pray for these home groups happening all over the world in many difficult places, that you would continue to call people to yourself, that you would grow believers in their faith, and that it would all be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's begin our study of Philippians on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now today, friends, we come to another one of the prison epistles. Last time we were in the New Testament, we looked at Ephesians. Now this epistle to the Philippians was written at the same time as Ephesians, and it was one of the four epistles 
that we mentioned at that time that are called prison epistles because they were written by Paul when he was in prison in Rome. We have Ephesians and now Philippians, and the next will be Colossians, and then the little epistle of Philemon will be coming along later. Now, this epistle that Paul has written to the Philippians is one of the loveliest epistles that he ever wrote. It's a lovely epistle, and it contains no harsh criticism of the church in Philippi at all. And everything seemed to be just fine. And he was very close to these folk. I expect, judging from the epistles, that Paul was closer to the church in Philippi than any other church he founded. And these people in Philippi seemed to have loved him more than any other church loved him. And as a result, this epistle is choice indeed. Now, Paul went to Philippi on his second missionary journey. Actually, he was out on his second missionary journey. You will recall that he and Barnabas had had a division because of a difference of opinion concerning John Mark. And, of course, Paul changed in his viewpoint of John Mark. And later on, he was able to say of him, "'Bring John Mark with you. He's profitable to me for the ministry.'" But at this time, he was not even about to take John Mark with him on the second missionary journey because, you remember, he had shown a yellow streak up and down his back and had run home to Mama, apparently, when they faced the interior of Asia Minor. And here was where Paul was going again. And so he took Silas with him, and Barnabas took John Mark. And then Paul went over the Galatian country. And he visited the churches founded on the first missionary journey. Then he attempted, apparently, according to Dr. Luke's record, he attempted to go down into Asia. And the chief city down there was Ephesus. And he was forbidden to go down there. We are told that they were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, that area was to be open by Paul and to be open later on. But at this time, it was a closed door for him, and he could not go south. So he naturally thought that he was to go north. So he attempted to go into Bithynia that was along the southern coast of the Black Sea. And there was a very large population there, and a large Jewish population was in that area as there were many colonies of them in what we would call today modern Turkey. But in that day, this was called Bithynia. And it was a great resort area. It had a delightful climate, very candidly. It was a climate that in summertime could not be surpassed. Now, again, we're told that when he attempted to go there, but the Spirit allowed them not. That's Acts 16, 7. Or, as our translation says, the Spirit suffered them not. So again in the north, there was a roadblock put up. Now, Paul cannot go south. He cannot go north. And he's come from the east. So there's only one direction for him to go. And therefore, it was not Horace Greeley of the New York Sun who first said, go west young man, go west. But it was the Holy Spirit speaking to the apostle Paul 
and Silas to go west. It's the only direction that's left to them. And so they headed west and came to Troas, and they waited for orders there. Now, I'm sure that had you been in Troas, the city of Troy as we know it at that time, and you had met Paul, and you said, Brother Paul, well, what are you doing here? Well, he said, I'm out on my second missionary journey. Well, we would have said, where are you going? He said, I don't know. And you and I, you know, being rock rib conservatives and Bible believers, and I think that's the proper way to be, and 19 centuries removed, we would have all the data that comes afterward. We'd said, why, Brother Paul, you mean to tell me you're the great apostle to the Gentiles and you don't know where you're going? And I think he would have said, yes, you're right. I don't know where I'm going. (laughs) And we would have been amazed because, you know, we today talk so much about the leading of the Lord. I get a little weary as I hear some people talking about the leading of the Lord. Why, they go down to the street corner, and there is a shopping area to the left and one to the right, and the way they tell it, the way I hear it, goes something like this. I got down to the corner. I didn't know what shopping area to go to, and the Lord led me to go to a certain one. Well, I don't know. I don't have leading like that, and some of them can even beat that. They can tell you. I prayed about it, and two days later, I went down to the corner, and I knew exactly where to turn. I turned to the right that time because I felt the Lord led me. Well, again, may I say, that disturbs me because I have never had leading that quite goes like that. And I'm always grateful to turn to the Word of God and find out in the book of Ruth, when she came out of Bethlehem that morning, she didn't know whose field to go in, but she did go in the right field. Spirit of God led, but she didn't know at the time. And Paul here didn't know where to go. And I get in that position quite frequently. Now, Paul's waiting there for orders. and Then he's given the vision of the man of Macedonia. It would take that to call that man out of Asia Minor, which was really the center of the Roman Empire. And that day, actually, Greek culture had moved into what we know as Asia Minor, modern Turkey. Actually, that was becoming the headquarters, the great heartthrob of the Roman Empire. And Paul hadn't any idea, as I see it, as I read the record, of going into Europe. But he had a vision of the man of Macedonia, and it took that to move him. And he said, come over and help us. Well, Paul crossed over then. And when he came into Europe, you will recall that he went first to Philippi, and he ministered there. And I've always been grateful to God that he sent Paul into Europe at that time, because my ancestors were divided, the two families, in two different places. One family came out of Germany, and evidently that family at that particular time were living in the forest, half-naked, eating raw meat in Germany at that time. They were really savages. They were really pagan. In fact, they were real pagans. The other family were over in Scotland, and that's my father's family. And they were over there, and if you go to England, you'll notice Hadrian built a wall across England there. And you know the reason he built that wall? It was to keep those crude, dirty, 
heathen, filthy Scotch savages out of the Roman Empire. They didn't want them. Can you imagine that at that particular time? And that's where the two families were. I have always been grateful that God sent Paul into Europe and not over into China. Because, may I say to you, later on, someone got to my ancestors over there because Paul had come in that direction and gave them the gospel. And the word of God came to them. I've been grateful for this crossing. So Paul came to Philippi. That was the beachhead. That's where he began his ministry. And when he got over, though, to Philippi, he had actually, I think, rather a disappointment in a way. He found out that the man of Macedonia was a woman by the name of Lydia. Lydia, who had come from Thyatira, and she was a seller of purple, quite a businesswoman, apparently. And she had opened up a branch store there in Philippi. She was holding prayer meetings down by the river. I do not know how much those prayer meetings had to do with the Spirit of God sending Paul to Europe, but I'm sure it had something to do. She was the first convert. Then we know that there was a jailer there, and he was a brutal fellow, or he wouldn't have had that job. And he was led to Christ and his family. And there were many others that came to a saving knowledge of Christ. And that church was closer to Paul. They followed him during all of his missionary journeys. They were interested in him. They loved him. And Paul loved them. It was to this church Paul said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, he didn't say that to the Corinthians, and he didn't say that to the Galatians, but he did say it here to the Philippians. I thank my God for you, because he says, every time anybody reminds me of you, I just thank God for you. They were wonderful people there, and Paul loved them, and they loved Paul. Now, they lost sight, though, of the apostle Paul when he was arrested in Jerusalem. And for two years, they didn't know what had happened to him. And then word was brought to them that Paul was in jail in Rome. Well, I tell you, their hearts went out to him. I'm sure they called a prayer meeting. And they took up an offering to send to the apostle Paul and then to send their sympathy And they sent as the messenger their pastor, Epaphroditus. And he came bringing a gift and the message. Well, Paul wrote this epistle to the Philippians as a sort of a thank you note. And he doesn't have any doctrine to correct as he did with the Galatians. And he didn't have any conduct to correct as he did with the Corinthians. It's just a lovely letter. And the subject is Christian experience. Now, it doesn't mean you and I experience everything here, but it means that we should experience everything is here. And I'm sure when Epaphroditus arrived, Paul says, how are things going up in the church in Philippi? And Epaphroditus said, well, you know, they're going fine. Well, Paul says, you having any problems at all? Well, he said, we've had a little problem. And there was, there were two women in the church that were not speaking to each other. They were having a little problem problem. Paul didn't get to that till you get to the fourth chapter. And over there, he says, I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, they weren't of the same mind. They had had some problem, some difficulty. 
I've often wondered what it was. I've thought maybe it could have been like this. Mrs. Euodius, she probably was president of the Missionary Society. And Mrs. Syntyche, she could have been president of the choir. And both of those groups thought that they had the church parlor for Tuesday night. There'd been a little confusion there about the dates. And both groups arrived at the same time. And I want to tell you, Miss Euodius told Miss Syntyche what she thought. And Miss Syntyche had the same kind of thoughts. And they had the same kind of thoughts, but they were in a little different direction, of course. And so these two women were cool to each other. The old Scotch elder was called upon to read the fourth chapter of Philippians one night. He was an uneducated man. His pronunciation was terrible of this verse, but I tell you, his interpretation was great. He read it like this. I beseech odious, and I beseech soon touchy, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, friends, in a church, when you have one that is soon touchy and one that is odious, and they, you know, rub one against the other, sparks are going to fly. And that's what apparently happened here. Now, it wasn't serious. Paul says, I just beseech them that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, that apparently was the only thing. And then later on in that chapter, Paul thanks them for their guilt. But what he writes about is Christian experience. Now, here in chapter 1, you have the philosophy of Christian experience or Christian living. I like that better. You have the philosophy for Christian living. Then in chapter 2, you have the pattern for Christian living. And in chapter 3, you have the prize for Christian living. And in chapter 4, you have the power for Christian living. So that you have before us now a very wonderful epistle, and it is one of the prison epistles carried back by Epaphroditus to the church in Philippi. Now, I want us to just get our foot in the door here today. And chapter 1, we have the philosophy for Christian living. And you have here in the first two verses the introduction to the epistle. And then for verses 3 to 11, you have Paul's tender feeling for the Philippians. There's nothing quite like it. Now, you find Paul having a real concern and love for the other churches, but nothing like this. And then in verses 12 to 20, you have bonds and afflictions, further the gospel. And then verses 21 to 30, in life or death. This is a wonderful epistle. Now, we're not up there seated in the heavenlies, as we were in Ephesians when we began. We're just going to get right down here where the rubber meets the road. We're going to start right off, right down here with the nitty-gritty, where we live today. And this is good for your neighborhood and my neighborhood, your church and my church. Now, let me begin this, because it's actually a very wonderful epistle, and we want to spend some time in this epistle to get something of the sweetness of it. He says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. 
Now, this is quite wonderful. It's Paul and Timotheus. Now, again, I must call your attention to it. Paul brings this young preacher, puts him right by the side of him, encouraging him. This young man, Timothy, Paul loved him. He was his son in the Lord, as he calls him, and he was interested in him. Now, I get letters from former students and from many folk that in my ministry over the years have come to a knowledge of Christ somewhere where I was a pastor. And you don't know what that does for you today. And I just feel like, very frankly, all of these are rather my children. I've got a whole lot of children scattered around over this world today. And I love them in the Lord. I feel like putting every one of them, Paul and Timotheus, Vernon McGee and all of them, I want to put them right along with us today. And I think it was a marvelous gesture on the part of Paul to put this young preacher right down by the side of him. And Paul's name has come down through the centuries. And everywhere you hear about Paul, you're going to hear about Timothy. Paul saw to that. How wonderful. Now he calls themselves the servants of Jesus Christ. Now, back in Galatians, you remember, my, he says, Paul, an apostle. He rests on his apostleship and defends it. And you find him doing that again and again. He does it with the Corinthians. But here, he loved these Philippians. He didn't have to defend himself because they loved him. And they knew he was an apostle. They had all been led to the Lord by him. Paul and Timotheus were the servants of Jesus Christ. And he takes this humble place, the place that belonged to him. And he says to all the saints. Now, he's not writing to one little clique in the Philippian church. He's not writing to Miss Syntyche's group or to Miss Euodius's group. He's writing to all the saints. And every believer is a saint. In fact, the human family is divided up in just two groups, saints and ain'ts. And if you ain't a saint, you ain't. You see, saints are believers in Christ. And they're not that because of their conduct, but because of their position in Christ, which simply means this. Anything that is saint or holy, the same word here, means separated for the use of God, that which belongs to God. Why, the old pots and pans in the tabernacle were called holy vessels. and They were sure beaten and battered. Didn't look holy, but they were why? They were set aside for the use of God. And that should be the position of every child of God, set aside for the use of God to all the saints. Now, they're in Christ Jesus. Now, I've dwelt on that word so many times. I'm not going to dwell on it today. But what does it mean to be saved? It means to be in Christ Jesus. And you get there by faith in Christ. Now, Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ, and you're put in Christ by the Spirit of God, by what we know as the baptism. They are in Christ Jesus, but they're at Philippi. And actually, it doesn't make any difference where they're at. That sentence is not grammatical, but it's sure true. Where are you at today? You may be at Los Angeles. You may be way back yonder in Duluth, Minnesota. You could be way down in Boca Raton, Florida. It won't make any difference where you are at. It's whether you're in Christ Jesus. 
That's the important thing. Now he says, with the bishops and deacons. Now, the very interesting thing here, and I think probably this might be the good place to mention, bishops, the word there refers to the office. That's the word shepherd. And elders refer to the individuals that they should be men that are mature. They are the same. One refers to the office, the other to the individuals. And deacons are, should be spiritual men performing a secular service. We got through verse 1 today. We are going to begin with verse 2 in chapter 1 of Philippians tomorrow. So until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Hop aboard as we continue to travel through Philippians. To go deeper in your study, just visit ttb.org to download Dr. McGee's free notes and outlines and our Philippians Bible Companion. Or call 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can answer your questions about this fruitful ministry. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll see you here next time. God bless you as you walk with Him in His Word today. Our journey on the Bible bus today is supported by the prayers and gifts of fellow passengers as we travel through the Bible.